0: Judah, Judah, from which the name Jew comes, from which the name Judea comes, was the fourth son of Jacob, the third of the patriarchs of the household of Israel, the man whose name was changed to Israel, who gives that name to the entirety of the people, Israel. Judah was Joseph's older brother. And Judah approaches, in this week's Torah portion, at the very beginning of the portion, he approaches the vice-regent of Egypt. Doesn't know it's his brother. He's standing in front of the man who is in control of the most powerful country in the world to plead for his brother Benjamin. Seventeen years earlier, in very different circumstances, their positions have been reversed. You see, the brothers sold Joseph to the Ishmaelite caravan that was heading down to Egypt. Judah himself had made the suggestion, let's sell our brother Joseph to this caravan. Now, he said it. He also added, rather than killing him, because his brothers wanted to kill him. But he said, you know, let's sell him. Let's sell him. So Judah seeks mercy for his brother. But now, in this story, Judah is seeking mercy for his brother Benjamin pleading that if this vice-regent of Egypt is to take someone as a hostage, that it would not be Benjamin, but it would be Judah instead, because their father had already lost his favorite son, and please, 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 don't do it to my father again. Has Judah changed? Is he a different man than he had been earlier? Did Judah sell his brother into slavery as an act of mercy, avoiding his murder? Or was it an act of brotherly hatred, ridding himself of his father's obnoxious favorite child? I'll show you. We'll sell you into slavery. You'll never be seen again. However you resolve that question, one thing is absolutely clear. Judah went along with his brothers in their sale of Joseph into slavery. He did not stand up for his brother. But now, he will not allow his father to once again be harmed by the disappearance of his favorite son. Judah will offer himself to protect Benjamin and to protect his father Jacob. Why has he changed? Here I submit that we can't know the answer. Has he now decided to live by the moral principle of his life? Has he decided, I need to be an upstanding, upright person, Selling my brother was wrong, I'm not going to let it happen again? Is he motivated by remorse, guilt, for his past behavior? Much of our behavior is, after all, not motivated by principle, but we don't want to get caught. We would feel guilty. Because of those emotions, we do the right thing. Might he now feel sorry for his aging father, which he did not feel previously? After all, I had to see his father suffer over the loss of his son. Maybe now he just goes to oh, go, I'm not going through that again. Oh my God. What we had to do with dad? You kidding me? No. Rather be a slave myself than go through that again. Or perhaps it's kinship with his brother Benjamin that moves him to protect his brother and his father. You know? I've gotten to like this kid over the last number of years. I don't want to hurt him. I will give myself in his stead. We cannot know from the narrative of the Torah what precisely it was that changed Judah's actions. Was it a moral change in his character, or merely a different psychology that persisted for a moment? What is now guiding Judah's disregard himself. We cannot know from this story alone what it is that leads Judah to do the right thing. We see that there may be many motives. Some of them are principled and laudatory and we would want to emulate them ourselves. Some are frankly selfish. We do the right thing sometimes for selfish reasons. Well, the outcomes are going to look the same, like with Joseph, right? Judah pleads for his brother, and it looks as though he wants to do the right thing. Same outcome, regardless of what the motive may be. But the story behind the actions, the qualities of the person involved, cannot be determined from the story alone. We don't have the insight. It appears unselfish. But perhaps Judah is simply protecting his own feelings. Perhaps he cannot bear to have his father suffer as he suffered previously. And therefore he is acting, in a sense, to prevent his own pain. Or maybe he's just doing the right thing because to the very core of his being, he is now a moral person. South Africa is about to bury a dreamer of dreams. They're George Washington, they're Abraham Lincoln, In a single human being. And this week's Torah portion speaks of another dreamer of dreams, of Joseph and those who surrounded him and attempted to cut him off from his people and his destiny to prevent his dreams from being achieved. There are some interesting parallels, coincidentally, between the biblical Joseph and Nelson Mandela, and because of the miracle of the Internet. Some of the rabbis around the country posted what they thought those parallels might be. Both of them spent time in prison unjustly before being freed to become great leaders in the face of peril. Rather than holding grudges, Both of them reconciled with their brothers, those who had done them wrong. Both demonstrated great leadership, combined with deep humility. Rabbi Gersh Zilberman pointed out those parallels, and Rabbi Adam Latz commented on Genesis chapter 45, verse 14, with that Joseph embraced his brother Benjamin around the neck and he wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck, he kissed all of his brothers and he wept upon them. Only then were his brothers able to talk to him. And Rabbi Latz points out only after much weeping, only after much agony, was reconciliation possible between the brothers. What intrigues me about the parallels between this week's Torah portion and the death of Nelson Mandela is that among the many things that set Mandela's apart is apparent selflessness of his actions. As I understand this man, he was a deeply moral man to the very core of his being. And when things had to be set right, he understood what it meant to go by the course of touching people's lives for the good, not out of malice, not out of hatred, but for the good of his people. Today in South Africa, as I understand it, politics has returned to the normal, It's returned to the area or to a time in which working for one's own good, claiming to work for the public welfare, is not as it was under Nelson Mandela. But here in Nelson Mandela, you had, so to speak, the philosopher king. The good man who was set to rule over his subjects and had in mind not his own enrichment, but the welfare of his people. He was a man capable of understanding that justice must rule. And so people had to be brought up on charges and admit the truth and admit what they had done. But the justice must be tempered by mercy and so there would be no getting back at, there would be no slapping down, there wouldn't even be humiliation. He was a man who relished power for the sake of the good that he could do with the power, not for the sake of his own aggrandizement, not for the sake of his own ego, for the sake of improving humanity created in the image of God. A man of the people who established a democracy that could potentially enable every person to achieve according to his or her own abilities. Instead of their station in life that was gained at birth, and instead of the, by virtue of the melanin that happened to be in their skin. Many people are going to stand up and praise Mandela for the next week. I'm thinking about turning off the television set. Many people will be dedicated to honor his legacy, but who will act and change himself as Mandela did? So why do I bring up Judah? Because you see, Judah did the right thing for the second time around, but we really don't know why. The only person who could get inside of Judah is Judah. There are multiple possible reasons, as we've said, some of them principled, some of them selfish. It's nearly impossible to distinguish his reasons. But why would we care about his reasons if the same good ends were achieved? Well, here's what I think the reason is that we care about people's motives. Every so often a leader with real principle comes along and his brothers will try to sell him into slavery. It happens virtually every time. People will attack him, people will attack her, and often there will even be personal attacks in the attempt to destroy the human being if you cannot destroy that person's thoughts and goals and ideals. We have come to be used to the Anthony Weiners and the Congressman Riddells and the mayor robbed Forbes of the world, so much so that we don't even bother to comment about them anymore. And our politicians, so many of them work for gun rights, that we watch our children murdered in schools. And it's not even commented upon anymore when someone is simply murdered on the streets of Kansas City, unless, of course, they're murdered in Overland Park. But we are also used to those congressmen who serve well but get special benefits that are denied to others. You see, it's not that everyone is corrupt. There are those who do serve, and serve loyally, and serve because they have some ideals. And in return for those, they get high-quality health care that is not available to others, and pensions at age 62 that are vested after five years in office. And they take expensive junkets on so-called fact-finding missions at the expense of the taxpayer. It's good to be a congressman. There are folks who do not live up to their principles, perhaps like Judah, but who do do a good job and are serving the public as they said they would. It's just that in the impurity of their motives, we have trouble trusting them. So in part, I open this discussion not because of the late Nelson Mandela, or the example of Joseph and Judah, but also because of the example of the current Pope of Rome, Francis, who sleeps in modest quarters, who is more concerned with the poor than with peering into the bedrooms of people's private lives, people he doesn't know, who would even, as it is said, taking late night walks and distributing alms himself to the poor of Rome, How rare to find a man who actually lives out his life's creed. And how uplifting. In the last two weeks, there have been two stories, I have to believe that it's coincidental, of ministers who made themselves up to look like homeless people and appeared in their churches unrecognized. One of them, gutsiest move I've ever read about, was being introduced to his church that Sunday morning and showed up as a homeless man to see how his congregation would react. And then, in his very first sermon, chastised him for the behavior in ignoring him. Oh my God. It's a formula for one-week tenure in any religious organization. We find that when a leader lives his life, in accordance with that Hebrew expression, Baro Ketucho, that his outsides are a reflection of his insides. And Toho Kabaro and his insides reflect his outsides. His appearance is the same inward as his outward qualities. The people will follow him. And see, that's the real reason to talk about Mandela. The tragedy is that some people may get destroyed early, like Martin Luther King Jr. Joseph was sold as a slave, and he was imprisoned. Mandela was sentenced to life imprisonment and to hard labor and might have perished. But their inner determination and their principled life shine through like a beacon in every circumstance. And you all have to admit, along with me, there is a magnetism. There is a charisma to such purity of soul. It's kind of a reflection of the grace of God in the ability to live the principled life beyond reproach, to be, as the Jewish writer called himself, one of the people. We not simply espouse what is convenient. We reject, we skirt that which is inconvenient. But we live according to the principles that we preach. Such people have an influence way beyond their lifetimes way beyond their simple stature of standing there amidst the crowd. For some reason, we come to believe in such people. We believe in their goodness. We even might stand up with them. On the death of Nelson Mandela, on this week's Parashah, I would like to take a moment and reflect. What character traits are necessary such that people would feel cleansed and uplifted just by being in that person's presence. Just by being next to that person, it seems that our lives are made better. Perhaps each of us could live better lives if some of their light were to shine upon us. And perhaps we might even take some of that beacon and kindle a candle within ourselves, and let that light shine, however dim it may appear at first, on those who surround us. Because that light will dispel the darkness, and will bring other people to see themselves in the light that is part of the soul. That is, after all, the presence of God within us. us